Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Clean Techies. As always, sponsored and made possible by Next Wave Partners. On today's episode, I spoke with Madison Savalo of Carbon Upcycling Technologies. She is the chief of staff serving there and is also leading their, uh, their new venture called Expedition Air, which is a direct-to-consumer um, brand of products that has been mostly created uh, from carbon capture technology. So very exciting stuff what they're working on. We, in today's discussion, we talked a lot about carbon tech and the different challenges that they've faced, a little bit about the history and where they're going um, with Cut and with Expedition Air. And it's very, very exciting conversation. Lots of really cool things that they're doing over there. Uh, and I really hope you enjoy today's conversation as much as I did. for joining me today, Madison. I appreciate you coming on the call. Um, you know, I guess maybe just for, for the viewers, for the listeners, do you want to just give us a little bit of background on yourself and kind of how you came to be in this clean tech, this carbon tech space? Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, my name is Madison Savlo, and I'm chief of staff at Carbon Upcycling Technologies, as well as the venture lead for Expedition Air. Um, I started in carbon tech with Carbon Upcycling Technologies when I was in my last year of university. Um, so about two years ago, I started at, at CUT and um, it's been really exciting ever since. I, I just joined as a part-time role, um, more on kind of an admin side or a supporting side, just for whatever they needed done in the office. And that quickly transitioned into business development. Um, I would even skip classes and stuff to go give pitches, uh, which was always pretty fun, um, better than sitting in a class. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then transitioned pretty shortly after to chief of staff, so taking on um, more of a role in just various aspects of the company rather than just, you know, the business development and things like that. Um, and then we just recently launched um, Expedition Air, which isn't, the website isn't fully live yet, but um, should be shortly. Got it. Yeah, I was actually just checking that out prior to the call here and I, I noticed it wasn't up. But uh, yeah, why don't you, I guess, so again, the, the listener race here is a lot of people like myself who are just quite interested in clean tech in general and may not have um, a deep understanding as to the technical background of how these things work and what, what you're doing. So maybe if you could just give a very brief background on what Cut is doing and then go into more deeply what you guys are doing with Expedition Air would be, would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So clean tech is, is super broad. And I think more specifically, we're in the carbon tech world, as we like to call it. Um, so carbon tech encompasses the CCUS industry. So that's carbon capture, carbon utilization, and carbon storage. So really, you can see uh, the full process and the journey of the CO2 molecule throughout that acronym. Um, so you have the capture portion, um, which is either from direct air capture or point source emissions. Um, we can also source CO2 from industrial processes in the sense that it's manufactured CO2, which, you know, isn't ideal. Um, but yeah, we can, we can use CO2 from any of those sources. Our company, Carbon Upcycling Technologies, is more focused on the carbon utilization. So utilization, unlike storage, which is placing CO2 securely underground, is more aimed towards having a value add end product. So this is an economically viable way of assuring that carbon capture um, 
can move forward and can be a large, uh, large solution for, for climate change. So that's really the industry that we play in. Um, carbon upcycling technologies, we have a capture unit, um, but most of our work, our primary process is utilization, as I mentioned, um, and really how that works is we take gaseous CO2 and we sequester it into inorganic solid powders. So the powders we use are pretty, pretty broad. Um, they range from industrial rate wastes like fly ash, seal slag, pet coke. Um, you probably recognize a few of those as being very large industrial byproducts, um, but also natural pozzolans. So things like graphite, talc, uh, yellowstone, different types of clay even. Um, so really the, the process is loading a reactor. We have a, a very large vessel or pressure vessel. We load that first with whatever powder we wanna process, and then we pressurize it with CO2. And then after it's fully pressurized, we start to rotate the vessel for anywhere from a couple hours to a couple of weeks, depending on how processed we want the material, what the material is and what the end use is. So it's pretty simple um, operational process. And then we just offload the material and take it to, you know, whatever customer it is that's using it. So the end process for us, or the end product, I should say, is, um, you know, a concrete additive, we have plastics additives, coatings, um, battery applications, there's a lot of different industries we can go into. Um, this past year, we've been scaling up pretty rapidly. Uh, so we were a top 10 finalist in the NRG COSIA Carbon X Prize. X Prize being a, a pretty global company. I think they, they got a lot of attention this past week with the yeah. new announcement from, from Elon Musk. But For sure. um, yeah, so we were, before that one was announced, we were in the largest prize that they had ever offered, which was a $20 million prize. And yeah, we scaled up for that, finished um, giving in all of our data at the end of, of December, and now we're just waiting for the results. So hopefully we'll hear back soon. Um, with Expedition Air, we started this, um, I guess the whole journey of this started a couple of years ago uh, when we started exploring consumer products and integrating our powders into different types of products. Really, this started as a marketing tactic, essentially. We wanted to show consumers who weren't really aware of the CCOS industry that this is a viable technology, that it can be used in anything they can imagine. We wanted to show this in a ton of different supply chains. So we started off with some simple products made from concrete. Um, they were pretty, we tried to pick things that were, were interesting. So we had a watch with a concrete base. We had some coasters, we had pens, really unique products. And since then um, it's grown pretty organically. We've had a lot of people reach out to us, wanna use our materials in their projects, in their products that they already manufacture. Um, so it's expanded a lot since then. So we have yoga mats, we've got, we're starting a, um, a cosmetic application. Um, we're working on textiles and yeah, it's just super, super interesting. So. That kind of took off and we, we really didn't spend a ton of time on it until probably the last few months here after you know, the XPRIZE wrapping up and um, we decided we needed somewhere to sell these products and we had a lot of carbon tech companies interested in this as well. So we've partnered with them and made it more of a holistic type ecosystem program where we would connect uh, material companies to consumer product makers. Uh, and now we'll be launching an e-commerce site that offers all of this um, we're hoping mm -hmm. beginning of March is when it'll be launching. So uh, we're pretty excited to see that grow. And yeah, it's been nice to see the traction we've received already. 
That was a very long answer. <laughs> no, that, that's all right. That's all right at all. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, with the, the process that goes into creating these products, because it's taking a byproduct of something else and then the captured carbon and putting them together, does that have a significant impact on supply chain and reduction of carbon emissions throughout a lot of other products, supply chain creation? Mm-hmm. Super good question. Um, our, our whole goal is to see a circular economy type model introduced to supply chains. So uh, my best example is with our concrete additive. So really, if we wanted to see an ideal use of this technology, we would have our capture process directly at um, a concrete manufacturing facility. We would be able to process that CO2 and also process the the fly ash into enhanced fly ash um, that would go directly back into the concrete supply chain. So in that case, you're seeing emissions being put back into a product that they're using to make concrete stronger, um, which is pretty cool. Like you're able to, to see the circularity there and Mm-hmm. Um, that would reduce the, the carbon emissions significantly. Um, with, with most of our products, the biggest greenhouse gas potential we have there, or reduction potential, I should say, is really replacing the material that's carbon intensive. So, for instance, in the concrete industry, that's replacing cement use uh, to a certain extent. Uh, and that's really where we see a real carbon footprint reduction. Got it. And so what you mentioned that it makes the concrete stronger is that I I think I've gathered from some of the research I've done is that there's a bit of uh, a theme as though it seems as though this carbon element that's being put into a lot of these products actually is more is better than what they've been using traditionally. Is that correct? or Is that accurate? Yeah, so fly ash is the the feedstock that we use for um, our additive. Uh, we also use other things too, like crushed glass, um, some natural pozzolan, steel slag, pet coat, those type of things. But the biggest one for us is the fly ash at the moment. Um, that's been used in concrete for ages. So it, it's not a new thing, but being able to process it with the CO2 and, and really refine it to a superior product, that's what makes our technology novel. Um, so to answer your question, it is in portion the carbon that's introduced to it. Um, but the biggest performance benefit from our process is the reduction in size of the particles of the powder. So that increases the surface area, allows it to react better. Um, and in turn, that allows us to reduce the cement use by up to 20% and increase the wow. compressive strength by up to 40%. So it's pretty interesting in that sense. Um, I mean, just from the, the cement reduction, we're able to reduce the greenhouse gas potential by or greenhouse gas footprint by about 25%. So that's that's pretty significant for the concrete industry. And I, I think you'll see a lot of um, construction technology companies coming into play. Um, the concrete mix itself really hasn't changed a ton since the Colosseum was built. So we're still using <laughs> the same type of materials in it. Um, so seeing this slow moving industry start to be almost a leader in and you know the the carbon tech space. There's a lot of companies trying to tackle that and embed CO2 into the the material. I think that's phenomenal. It's it's the second most used substance uh, other than water. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. Do you are there any companies out, out doing this this uh, I guess you could say carbon concrete type of additive that creating this stuff that are you'd say are leaders in the space just to for people to keep an eye out and maybe to follow and and see what they're doing. Yeah, there's um, there's a few interesting technologies out there. Um, I mean, if you look in on the Carbon X Prize site, um, you'll see I think there's 
four or five that are tackling the construction space. Um, if you want carbon tech companies in general, that's a really good place to look as well. There's, you know, just a list of the top 10 finalists. Um, but there's also another site too, I think it's called the circular the circular carbon network, I believe. Um, and it lists all of the carbon tech companies in the world. And the last time I checked, I think there was about 250 companies that were listed on that. Um, all of different products, all of different scales and um, different progress levels. So uh, that's a really interesting site to look at. That was also started by the XPRIZE. They just did a, a massive survey essentially and um, included all those company profiles. So tons of companies to watch, um, you know, whatever material you're interested in, in engaging with, I think there's a way to introduce that to your supply chains and, and finding those companies now is not so difficult. Yeah, for sure. I would agree. I think that's, that's interesting. I've just seen lots of uh, new things coming up and it is very exciting for people like us who are really excited about this, uh, creating a, a greener future for, for our earth. So, um, you know, one, one thing I'm curious to know, more about is what are some of the the biggest challenges that you guys have faced whether it's with um expedition air or with cut like what are what are some of the things you've run into whether it's uh misalignment in the public understanding of what you're doing or, or investors what are some of those things that you've struggled with yeah for sure so I, I guess i can quickly answer for expedition air i mean we're pretty early on right now um just about to launch. So I think once once we're live, I'm sure we'll have more challenges presented yeah. to us. Um, but really the, the whole problem of, you know, just the, the awareness and the public perception of carbon tech, that was really what inspired starting this, this venture. Um, we really wanted to, to raise awareness for it. We wanted to show that it's not an ex exclusive um, solution in the sense that like, you know, it can't be paired with natural solutions. It absolutely can. It can be paired with other carbon tech companies. There's this very large collaboration piece. And um, the other thing we want to promote too is that consumer buyer power also has a big play into what materials go into products. And I think people need to start asking more of their product suppliers. They have to be asking more of the products they purchase um, to make sure that the companies behind this and the corporations and the governments that are able to regulate these markets um, are really aware that consumers aren't going to stand for products that are very carbon intensive anymore. I think that's a massive opportunity for people to stand up and say, you know, we want to see these products be carbon negative. We want to see them act as carbon sinks. Um, and I think we have the technology that's available. It's just not necessarily accessible to consumers yet. So that's really our goal is to be a catalyst in that change from the standpoint that consumers have a, a role to play. Um, on the carbon upcycling side, where it's more technology-based, it's innovation-based um, and widely industrial in nature, um, I think that one we've seen a lot more challenges. I mean, we, we went through a massive scale up. So over the past five years of being in the Carbon X Prize, we've managed to scale our technology about 10 million times, um, which is pretty, pretty exciting stuff. Like, I mean, we're, we're really proud of the progress we've shown. We started off with a reactor that was about the size of a cookie jar. It was only processing a few grams of material um, just for some little tests and things like that. And now we're producing about 20 tons in a batch. So it's wow. really, really exciting to see that prog progress. But with moving at that speed, there's been a number of challenges. Um, I think being grant funded has been incredible. We've received so much support from the government um, and we're really thankful for that. Um, I think what's interesting about being grant funded at the moment versus being investor funded is that 
that allows us to have control over a lot of the funding that we receive. Um, and other than milestones that we're we're already innately driven to to reach, uh, it's well supported by the government and it's not necessarily um, pushing us all the time like an investor might. Um, I mean, we're, we're so driven to, to progress. I don't think we necessarily need somebody to tell us to go faster anyways. But yeah. um, I think one thing with government grants is that they don't necessarily match the speed of, of startups and that the mm -hmm. way they, they grow. Um, it takes a lot of time to go through reporting and audits and uh, submitting all these different um, claims and stuff like that, which obviously being a government organization, you wanna be making sure that you're, you're reaching those, um, those targets and the government money is well spent. So I absolutely see why, why that's in place. Um, I think with investor funding, I think it'd be a little bit easier to, to reach that funding, you know, if you, if you select your investor well. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, we're, we're hoping to do a raise in, in the next year and hopefully that'll help us to not be so bootstrapped. Um, that's probably the other thing too, that's been a challenge is being a bootstrap company. We've always run with a lean methodology. So we've always been strapped for capacity and uh, all of us have, you know, five or six different hats that we wear on a, a yeah. daily basis. Um, it's kind of funny. We hired a, a business development associate last year, Natalie, she's a, our colleague and we told her it was an office job. She's going to be working downtown, really exciting. And uh, about a month or so after she started, we sent her out to site to go shovel fly ash. So she spent her entire summer on site and, and into the fall and winter. Um, so yeah, she, you kind of just have to jump into it when you're with a startup, but um, it, I think finding that talent that's, you know, willing to do that and, and won't hesitate for a, for a second about going out to site or, or doing something they're uncomfortable with or don't know mm -hmm. about, I think finding that talent can also be a, a challenge for startups. Yeah, one thing I'm curious about is, so you, you obviously, I think the Canadian government's a little bit more, um, promotes these type of things a little bit more. And I'm not sure exactly how how the, um, the X prize is structured, how that works, but I'm curious if with a lot of these newer technologies, it's the, it's not really solidified as to what is viable, what is not yet. So do you see an issue with um, very, very new technologies that haven't been proven yet getting funding from venture capital firms? And then if that's the case, do you think that there should definitely be more incentive based from, from the government to try to continue to, to uh, produce this innovation, to have some funding? Because I've talked to a few researchers in the past and they've, they've mentioned that if you're not trying to research something that's on the front of everybody's mind, you're not going to get funding because unless there's money to be made or the government's pushing for it, you're not, you just don't have the funding to, to do that research. So do you have any thoughts on that? And I don't know, you know, if that question really hits on the nail, but if I, if you want to, you know, adjust it, that, that works too. Yeah. I think, you know, as well, as long as, um, your organization is well aligned with a global problem. I think, I think that's something that should be funded by the government to de-risk the technology. Um, that's something that I think the Canadian government and the Alberta government in particular have been doing a really good job of over the past little while is making sure that um, technology is supported, they get you out of that R&D phase, um, and you start to see if things are economically viable. I think I think you do at a certain point have to prove that, right? You want to make sure that mm -hmm. this is something that's going to be adopted. And we all, well, in North America, we're living in capitalist societies. So you have to make sure that it is an economically viable solution to whatever global problem you're, you're solving. Um, 
I think from venture capitalism, I mean, yeah, I think I think as long as you know you've proven that it's economically viable, I can see that being a case for for receiving venture capital. But um, yeah, that, that's I guess more down the line after you're out of that R and D stage yeah. or yeah. It just seems to me, I, I feel like to some extent, maybe it, it would be helpful to find venture capital. And I think we talked about this before the podcast a bit, that there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of climate tech type of venture firms um, that are looking to, to help create this greener world and to really help solve climate change. But I think that with given the time frame that it takes with the government to get the funding out, because they want to vet and make sure that they're not just investing in some, uh, some, somebody on the street, you know, that's got an idea. Um, I think it would be helpful and maybe if any investors are listening to really try to find ways to systematize and find these new technologies and invest in them, even if they are higher risk. Um, but again, I just think that's quite interesting to hear from your perspective, because in the US, it's, it's obviously been a bit different for the past few years here. Not, not a lot of um, support for that type of thing. So it's good, it's good to speak with somebody from, from a different kind of government there. Um, one thing I'm, I'm quite curious about too is Obviously, we don't have a ton of time to help try to reverse climate change. So how scalable, you talked a little bit about the scale that you guys have really, you know, brought up the, took it into high gear over the past couple of years here. But how scalable is this technology in general? Is this something that once it's all refined and good to go, it can scale very quickly across the whole globe? Yeah, so it's, you know, it is a little bit regional specific um, in the sense that we try to track it down where the feedstock is coming from. Um, mm -hmm. It's not super regional in the sense that there is a lot of feedstock. So for instance, fly ash, it's a byproduct of coal incineration plants, um, which, you know, it it comes off as the connotation that we're support, supporting the coal industry, uh, which we're not. So we're taking very low grade fly ash that comes from landfill. Um, typically those landfills are just capped. Sometimes those landfills release the fly ash and there's been some cases of that and it's it's just an environmental hazard. So we're able to upcycle that fly ash so that it's, it's used in a new supply chain in concrete. Um, in that case, you know, there's 37 gigatons of fly ash just in the top 10 fly ash producing countries in the world. So if we were able to upcycle all of that, I think, first of all, we've done our jobs and yeah. <laughs> uh, we would be a very successful company. Um, and secondly, I think that would be a massive win. You're reducing, you know, the, the carbon footprint of concrete. You're embedding the CO2 directly into the concrete itself. So it's, you know, it's built into infrastructure that's going to last. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that's that's our goal. So we want to license out our technology to as many concrete manufacturers as we possibly can to see mm -hmm. this widespread and global. Um, we are talking to some big concrete manufacturers now. For instance, we just announced our partnership with CMEX Ventures. Um, so that's pretty exciting to see that partnership company and, and concrete industry is starting to realize that they need to be involved in carbon tech as one of the biggest emitters, they need to find a solution. So um, that's really cool to see. And, and you're seeing low carbon concrete come into play in a lot of industries. I think with the, the plastics industry, um, which is also another industry we play in, that one's a little bit more nuanced because there's so many different types of resins that we could embed our powder into, um, but you don't wanna be contributing to the plastic problem at large. So being selective about the type of resins we use and making sure that there's alternatives like bioresins, things like that, um, that we can help support. I think that's really our, our end goal there. Mm -hmm. Got it. So I guess, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, there's there's plenty of, of supply of carbon right now 
if in a perfect world we're able to get this reduced significantly and there's not as many coal plants, for example, creating uh, emissions and then you can cap it and then capture there, um, can, can this technology that um, CUT is using, can they you do that out of thin air, like just capturing out of the air in places where there is a little bit more concentration, but not necessarily right off the, the stack of an industrial type of manufacturing plant, for example? Yeah, so our, our capture technology, it is a point source emission tech. Um, so it would have to go onto a flue stack. It's a, a membrane-based technology. Um, mm -hmm. It's a very flexible membrane-based technology in the sense that we can hit different sizes of flue stacks. So we like that versatility. Um, we aren't a direct air capture CO2 company. Um, we have the utilization process, uh, which is quite important, right? You want to be addressing the whole supply chain of where that CO2 is going. Um, we are well suited to be paired with direct air capture companies. We've used direct air capture CO2 from both Climeworks and from Carbon Engineering. And there's a couple other direct air capture companies that are a bit modular that we're talking to at the moment that, you know, we think would be a very good fit for, for our tech. And, um, you know, our units, our, our vessels, they come in different sizes. Like I mentioned, they're as small as a cookie jar or as big as, mm -hmm. you know, these massive machines, um, but they're modular. So we can move them to different sites and um, make sure that they're processing yeah. the material for whatever supply chain is in the region. Um, so our technology itself isn't based on direct air capture, but we can be paired with one, which is really exciting. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So for anybody who's curious about these products, I, I mean, obviously, obviously I've seen some of these products on the website, the watches and the, the different types of, you know, small consumer products, people might be curious, how durable are these? I know we've talked about this being a strong, uh, making the concrete stronger, but could you maybe speak to that a little bit? Just like, what is the lifespan of these? Is it intended for these to be, um, for this material to be broken down and recycled again in the future, given its nature? Or is it something where we would change the whole idea of the manufacturing? For example, the pen, like, is it going to be something that you, you create this pen and then you just refill it with ink or something like that? What is, you know, kind of that, could, could you speak to that a little bit? Mm -hmm. I guess I'll, I'll start with the, the material side of things. So for carbon upcycling, um, the material itself is not meant to, to change the, the end of life of the product. So if, for instance, the plastic that we're embedding this in, if it was biodegradable or if it was recyclable, uh, it still is once we've added our material. Concrete, now there's a few recycling companies that are recycling concrete. We can still do that with our enhanced fly ash embedded in it, um, which is really cool. We also, the CO2 is fully trapped. Like the only way to release the CO2 is through through very high temperatures. So mm -hmm. we make sure to put this into supply chains where that's just not gonna happen. Um, in terms of the consumer products, they are consumer products. Like it's not, you know, some of these are, are not meant to be long, long lifespans. Um, I, I mean, just they're not gonna last forever. Um, but they, they still are consumer products. So one of the things that we're trying to do is be very picky about what product manufacturers we're using, what is the, the supply chain, how are we actually creating these processes, and we want it to be very transparent. Um, we don't want to use products that are not sustainable. So for instance, the pen is a perfect example where we're actually going to be launching a signature pen. Um, and we've de designed this so that it is the most sustainable form. So the ink cartridge is one of the most standard ink cartridges you can get. So it's it's replaceable. Um, it's a single barrel, so we use less material. It's uh, polished with local beeswax, which is pretty cool. Um, so using those types of uh, mechanisms. Oh, and then the it's all 
twist mechanism. It's not a click, so it's more reliable. It won't break uh, easier mm -hmm. than, you know, a click would. Um, so that's kind of the design process we go through for each of the products. For yoga mats, we made sure we went with natural rubber yoga mats. Um, we embedded our products in there. All of our products are drop shipped um, to reduce that. And then we've also purchased carbon offsets to offset Mm -hmm. whatever material is, you know, additional to our powder, uh, as well as the shipping, the packaging, everything is, is well thought out in that sense. Um, there is some really cool technologies coming out that are, are tracking consumer products. And that's something that we also want to get into down the line. So we're starting to have preliminary conversations with some of our partners about embedding them with um, like QR codes and things like that, where they can see exactly where these products are coming from. Um, you're able to, when they're scanned, you're able to see, you know, where they're at and they could be returned if they need to at the end of life. Um, so we want to make sure that that's something we introduce as well. You're also seeing this happen in, in the fashion industry, which I think is really cool now that we're starting to get into textiles. Um, there's a few companies that allow you to return the clothing at the end of life, like Patagonia, for example, and they'll, mm -hmm. they'll redo the, the clothing so that it's, it's back onto, into the supply chain afterwards and a new consumer can have it. Um, yeah. So we're, we're thinking of all those circular economy type products and um, making sure that these are, these have the longest longevity for a, a consumer product. No, that makes sense. And I think that to me, it seems as though there's this theme of something is invented and then we have, we have this, this, uh, the groundwork and then there's the next layer on top of it. So it seems as though to me, the actually capturing the carbon and being able to pair it with these different byproducts to make new products has been accomplished. And now, now what um, Expedition Air is doing is creating those consumer products and actually get them to market. What do you see as <laughs> now that this is essentially solved and this is going to be scaled? What do you see as coming next after this? Is there anything that people should be aware of or maybe for new entrepreneurs that, okay, hey, what will, what will need to happen next in order to continue going towards creating this circular economy? Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't exactly say it's, it's solved yet. Like, I think we have a lot of great starts to um, different technologies and different innovations. And I think um, in the carbon space, there's always room to grow within that um, just because carbon tech can touch every industry, right? It's, it's so broad. And I think the more solutions we have, the better chance we have of reducing the, the carbon mm -hmm. problem that we have gotten ourselves into. So, um, you know, things like different fuel sources and, and things like that. It's obviously not widespread that carbon tech can play in that. Um, we're still using petroleum-based fuels and, um, you know, ideally we, we wouldn't be. Like that's that's kind of the, the matter of the fact. And I think, you know, that's that's a statement. I, I'm, I come from an oil and gas city. Calgary is an oil and gas city yeah. and Alberta is an oil and gas province. And um, having grown up in this, this industry of, of energy and being around it, I think, there's a lot of misconception that we promote it all the time, but there's so much innovation within the sector and everyone wants to see transitions away to more renewable energy. And um, I think using that type of entrepreneurial spirit and those types of efficiencies can only help um, the energy sector at large. So I guess for new innovators, um, join Carbon Tech. Um, I, I think another Another cool industry would be, you know, the hydrogen industry. That would be fascinating if we could be a leader in that. Um, just even being able to retrofit different types of infrastructure that we already have in place, like uh, pipelines and things like that uh, down the line. I think that would be fascinating to see if that's possible. 
Um, but yeah, I think there's so much, there's such big problems that we have. Uh, it offers a huge opportunity for people to get involved in this innovation sector. And um, it's exciting, it's, it's promising. And I think even if you're not in the innovation sector itself, if you're part of the ecosystem, you know, if you're promoting this within government, if you're promoting it within your large corporation, um, I think we need the ecosystem to survive because uh, startups wouldn't be where they are today without it. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think uh, it, to me, there's it's such a huge monumental problem that we have to overcome that it really is gonna involve everybody in all areas, right? Not just innovators, people, like you said, people in government. Uh, I think that if a lot of times when we talk about people in government, you think, oh, that's somebody else's job. But remember, so many of us live in towns, right? We can be involved in our local governments and helping to create an environment that's friendly towards these new technologies that helps to bring in and make partnerships with cool companies like uh, carbon upcycling technology. So I think that that's super helpful, all of this information. Is there anything else that you'd, that you'd wanna close the, close the show out with here and, and just maybe thoughts for people going into the future and how they might help, any resources, anything you want to, to mention? Yeah, I mean, I, I named after a couple networks in, and um, websites there that are really cool to look up just for the carbon space. Um, I think going forward, it would be, It'd be amazing if people can, you know, just hold back any reservations they have about jumping into this industry. You, you start to figure out um, where the truths lie, what the transparency of these technologies are. And I think the more people dive into the facts, the, the better. Um, I think that the most worrying thing about our industry is that, you know, there could be greenwashing involved with some companies and um, that can be detrimental to the industry at a whole. So I think it's important for people to know that, you know, the carbon tech industry does have some really amazing players. It's, uh, there's a lot of collaboration, which is pretty unique for for an industry. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, um, it's not something you would see in other industries where you're able to collaborate with companies that would, you know, in, in a business textbook would be a competitor. So yeah, um, I think that's really, really exciting to see. And, you know, the more people, the better that are interested in this, it's just, it's fascinating. So yeah, definitely join us in this, in this journey to, you know, find some, some climate solutions and yeah, it's a really time to be a really exciting time to be a part of this. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Madison, for joining the podcast today. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you again sometime. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Clean Techies. Uh, again, joined today by Madison Savalo. What a great conversation. So many cool topics to discuss in this clean tech space. Obviously, very exciting time. Uh, again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please do comment what your biggest takeaway was. If there's any further questions you have or future guests you'd like to see, please do reach out on social media to us uh, over here to ask those questions, to suggest those guests. We'd love to hear from you. Also, please do share with people whom you think might, might enjoy this, right? And if you are looking to continue being involved, you can definitely follow um, what Carbon Upcycling Technologies is doing, as well as Expedition Air. And then you can also join our Slack channel, Clean Techies, link in the description uh, to become part of this community that we're building of people who are seeking to learn more, to innovate, and to help just create a better, greener future. So as, as always, thank you so much for joining and watching today's episode or listening, and we hope to see you next time.